people keep repeating that you'll never fall in love. But everybody keeps retreating that you can't seem to get enough. Let my love open the door. Let my love open the door. Let my love open the door to your heart. When everything was over and everybody seems unkind, I'll give you a four-leaf clover. Take all the worry off your mind. Let my love open the door. Let my love open the door. Let my love open the door to your heart. It's all I'm living for Release yourself from the misery There's only one thing gonna set you free And that's my love It's my love Let my love open the door Let my love open the door The tragedy befalls you Don't let it drag you down Love can cure your problems you're so lucky I'm around. Let my love open the door. Let my love open the door. Let my love open the door to your heart. Welcome to Mae's Way. Um, for those of you who are visiting with us today, Mae's Way is a community of people centered around the gospel of Jesus Christ, committed to the work of God here in Durham and around the world. Um, we have lots of ways that you can get connected at Mae's Way. Did I turn this off? Are we good? Um, there's lots of stuff that's going on during the week. If you have any questions about ways you can get connected about stuff that's going on during the week, there's a green card right next to Sarah in the entryway right there that you can pick up. It's got our website, it's got information about small groups and pub group and all of our other groups on there. We have some stuff going on in the next week that we want to let you guys know about. First off, tonight we're doing Ecclesia. And is Ben in the room? Yeah, he's going to be leading us through our quarterly community gathering. Everybody's invited to attend. We'll have sh sort of a shortened worship service tonight. And then um, we'll have pizza, right? Yeah, we'll do a vote, like a raise your hand if you want some pizza. We'll have dinner and then our meeting. Um, so that's going on tonight. Next week, we actually have a change of venue. And we're going to talk a little bit about that. Dan's going to talk about that. We'll be meeting at Duke Memorial. Yeah, so next week... How we might partner together and think about kind of uh, as we grow and change and our kids grow, kind of a, a space that we might uh, meet uh, with them, uh, be still continuing on Sunday evenings. Um, and so we're going to try that out next week. Uh, so next week we won't be here at the Reality Center. 
we'll be meeting actually at Duke Memorial, which is up at the top of the hill. Um, and I'm sure there'll be some, you know, we're going to have to get nap oriented to the space and kind of what's going on there. So if you can show up a little bit early, that will probably help everybody out. Um, we're also going to need a few people to help us move some stuff. Um, it'll be a pretty intense time for those of us that do set up and kind of orchestrating all the sound and all that kind of stuff. So if you're interested in that, please uh, connect with Josh or myself. Um, we'd love to kind of get a group of people together to help us load. We're going to take, obviously, all the sound equipment and possibly a few chairs over there for the evening. And so Sunday afternoon will be a pretty busy time. So if you can help us, we'd really appreciate it. Um, but remember, we'll send out emails, but if you can uh, just kind of set in your brain that we're going to be meeting there next week, that, that'll save uh, you a lot of travel. <laughs> Thanks, Jan. Um, so we have that going on next week, which we're looking forward to. Um, just a reminder, you'll notice that the kids are sitting right behind me, kind of hard to miss. But one of our new traditions that we're starting here at Amaze Way is inviting our children to be part of our larger worship gathering. So they'll be with us in the beginning, um, and then we'll sing our community song, which you'll notice is next in our bulletin, and they'll sort of process out after we sing it a second time. Um, so just be anticipating that. If you have any questions about the transition or want to talk to somebody about it, you can ask either myself or Elizabeth Eford. Um, let's see, a couple of reminders. If it's your very first time with us, we'd love to hear more about you. We have some yellow cards in the entryway right there where you can put your name and email or whatever contact info you want to get us. Um, if you are interested in contributing to Maceway, we have a couple of online options. If you go to our website, there's also a silver, silver bowl in the offering. Um, I mean, in the, what is that thing called right there? Yeah, the foyer. <laughs> the narthex is what I want to call it. Um, yeah, there's a silver bowl in there if you want to donate that way. Um, I am Chelsea Rodenheiser. I think I forgot to say that. I'm the administrative coordinator here at Maceway. Um, so welcome tonight. Thank you to Brett Harris for being here. We're really Really glad to have you with us. And I'm going to kind of um, have you all. Yeah, go. Congratulations to Dan Rhodes, who defended his dissertation. Done and done. So thank you, Dr. Rhodes. Um, we, so now if you'll flip on your bulletin and look at your community song, we're going to sing um, New Redemption song. And we're going to sing it through one time. And on our second time through, the kids are going to kind of exit and go back to their, their space in the back. So let's go. Lord, we need a new redemption song. Lord, we tried, it seems to come out wrong. Won't you help us, please help us just to sing along a new redemption song, a new redemption song. Lord, we need a new redemption day.
to bring redemption day. Back to the beginning. <laughs> Lord, we need a new redemption song. Lord, we try. It seems to come out wrong. Won't you help us, please? Help us just to sing along a new redemption song. A new Won't be 
full disclosure, I, I came to know this song through a, a U2 song where, it, where it's quoted. It's one of, that's one of the best lyrics I think ever written. So, all right. by the beauty of it all When you love us in a dangerous time Love us in a dangerous Vibrant skin, this hair like lace. Spirits open to the thrust of grace. Never a breath you can't afford to waste. When you love us in a dangerous time. Those last two songs, just a, a couple of things to prod your thinking is um, uh, One Big Love. is a, I, I love that song. It's, I've always enjoyed that. It, it, it has this sense of whimsy that's the opposite of, uh, of lovers in a dangerous time, both related to our physical lives and our embodied lives. And we're going to kind of, that's where we're going now. We're starting a series on the body. So, Brett, thank you for, uh, for doing those for us. It's fantastic to have you with us. I was going to say this as well. We don't say this very often, but the one big love reminded me of this. Um, we have kind of a, um, 
uh, a evolving uh, uh, album essentially on online called Right Seven that has some amazing music. Mark and Sarah, have you played? You've played on Right Seven, haven't you? And uh, our, our musical community here has done this. Uh, and One Big Love is in the first installment of that. And if, if people haven't heard that or wanted to get that, is it Josh? Would it be Reverb Nation or how, how would you? Yeah, just look up Right 7 or Emmaus Way. I, I, we hadn't done that song in a while. It reminded me that if you've only been here you know, a few weeks or a few months, you may not know that that exists. Uh, we also have a really good Spotify list as well of music. Is that true, Josh? Yes, you can find uh, either find me on Spotify or search for, I think it's just called Emmaus Way. And so every song that we've done at Emmaus Way, at least over the past several years, that is also on Spotify, it should be on yeah, we, one of the things we intend is for the music that we construct as a part of the worship gathering to be useful to lives of prayer and meditation beyond just this time and space. And that kind of online CD has some amazing, amazing work on it. It's just absolutely beautiful. So check it out if you, if you haven't done so before. But hey, I want to give you an opportunity to stand up and greet each other, uh, offer each other the peace of Christ, or just say hello. And if you are uh, around somebody you don't know, please uh, introduce yourself. Uh, my buddy, Kurt Rhodes, is here. I'm going to say that tonight. Kurt has spoken a couple times. He is the founder of QuestScope International, which does amazing, amazing work all over the Arab world, uh, housed in Jordan. And uh, I was there three or four years ago with those guys. Uh, and uh, Chansey worked for QuestScope how many years? And I think... Stefan uh, and uh, Kurt are just coming in since you're getting married in a couple weeks. Just kind of checking out the whole situation here. So, is, that, is that what's happening, Jordan? You look very uncomfortable over there. And you should. You truly should. Uh, but, uh, but, uh, but you should catch Kurt tonight sometime uh, and, and ask him about Questcope as well. It's so good to have him here. So please greet each other. So tonight we are introducing our... Um, our series on the body, and um, this is going to be a little challenging in that um, this is a great subject, and it's one that I'd like to start talking about it right now for the next three or four hours. Not that you'd want me to do that, but I would, and, um, and we're going to be sensitive to time tonight, and please feel invited to, uh, to hang out with us for pizza, our community meetings. We hold it to an hour, but even if you can't stay, please uh, have some food with us. And um, um, But anyway, I'm going to get us going here. Please still, since I'm moving as fast, feel free to keep getting up and getting uh, cake and stuff. Uh, we, we're very flexible here. But I want to get us uh, thinking about the body. This illustration, by the way, or idea came from Josh Bussman. I thought this was really funny. Um, I can't even remember where this is in the Bible, and I think it's in the Bible, right? Uh, treat your body like the temple of God. That's in there, right? Yeah? <laughs> I didn't even take the time to look it up this week. I'm, uh, First Corinthians at some point. And probably one of the most quoted and ill-quoted passage on the Bible. But Josh raised this idea. It's like, what if you, you are utterly committed to treating your Bible, your body, like the temple of God, like God's place, the sanctuary, the church? And so I started thinking about, okay, if that were the case... Because you guys know, I've told you a billion times, I grew up in a small, uh, rural, Baptist church east of Charlotte. So if I were reading, like, treat your body like 
you're supposed to treat Mount Harmony Baptist Church, where I grew up, uh, then this would have meant, this, the physical practices that came from that would have been always wear your Sunday best. I mean, just like, I mean, you, you were dressed up uh, every, every Sunday. There would be absolutely no running whatsoever. I mean, uh, Miles and gang would have been tossed like, you know, hours ago, no running, no talking would be allowed. Um, there would be no eating, there would be no sleeping, and particularly for us, no wrestling out on the front grounds of the church. And then our favorite thing to do, which was utterly, utterly forbidden, which meant we did it every Sunday night, was graveyard tag. Have you ever played that? You know, it's like one of those country churches with the graveyard beside it. And I mean, there's nothing like jumping out of a tombstone at, at, at 9.15 on a Sunday night when you're like a fourth grade boy. I mean, you know your best friend is behind that tombstone, but it, you're still just scared with, yeah, you're scared <laughs> a lot with that. So that would have been, if I were treating my body like the, the, the church, the, the temple that we worshiped in, those would have been our physical rules. Now, could you imagine what your body would be like if you did no running, no talking, no eating, no sleeping, no wrestling, and no graveyard tag? I mean, you just, this would be not only bad, but what, how long would you live? A uh, couple weeks, maybe? Uh, if, if water was permitted. So to some degree, it, it, I say that only to say it gives us a little bit of a sense of the weird juxtaposition that happens between, especially in our culture, and we'll, we'll, we'll go at this some, between kind of what we might call faith, religion, um, Christian faith, all of those things, and our physical lives. Those are two things that, that in many traditions are not brought together in very, very comfortable ways. So I wanted tonight to kind of start this whole dialogue with asking you a few questions uh, that relate to bodies. And, uh, and hopefully these will be uh, answerable for you. I, I, I'm curious about this. So here's the first question. What has either your, either Christian faith or the spiritual tradition that you come from. We all come from different places, but, but your faith, your Christian faith, your spiritual tradition, what has it taught you about your body? What have you learned about your body or insinuated about your body from your faith tradition? You have to restrain it at all times. Restrain at all times. Okay. Say that again, Rachel, I'm sorry. Okay, so dis, kind of a disembodied thing. It's always subject to thoughts or other things. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks, Rachel. Other things you've learned in your faith tradition about your body. It's asexual. It's asexual. That's true. Absolutely. <laughs> Just a carrier for your soul. Yeah, yeah. It's kind of this like thing that a soul rattles around in. But, it, you know, it's, yeah, it's not exactly. Elizabeth, were you going to say something? Yeah. Something to be ashamed of. Something to be ashamed of. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Body mistakes are unforgivable. Always. Yeah, okay. It's, it's God-given in that, um, so, so this is strange, but I was listening to a podcast today on transgenders, and so I was listening to his transgender talk about the conflict that he had, that his body that he had was 
God-given, and then he transitioned from being a man to a woman, and all the things that he had to go through mentally about that. So you're maybe stewarding your body for God, so it maybe is not truly yours. I'm sorry, I missed a hand. I could see it in my brain. Yeah. Uh, it's meant to attend many potlucks. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I should have said with my Southern Baptist thing, if you're not gaining like 10 pounds a year on like cream of mushroom soup, then you are not a God follower whatsoever. I mean, I mean, you know, every good Baptist should die at about like 48, you know, just with a kielbasa and, a, you know, a gravy flowing through their veins, you know, exactly. A good point. Sure, Andrew. So, the question I was given is that you are a soul, you have a body. And I understand there's an old actual Christian tradition that says it's the other way around. We are bodies that have souls. Okay. But that never came up. Sure, sure. So, here's the second question. Just as interesting to me. What has um, the society or the cultures that you live in, because I, I think we live in multiple social contexts at the same time. What have they taught you about your body, good or bad? You should not restrain. You should not. <laughs> Sarah, I'm curious for you. What does absolute restraint and absolute absence of restraint look like in your life today? <laughs> Sarah actually has some really good stories that we, we will hopefully tap into in this series. Uh, the Yes, okay, so uh, kind of an opposite message, okay? What has your cultures, the world that you live in, taught you about your body? It's never good enough. Never good enough. I, I've never really sensed that myself, but I, <laughs> I've heard others struggle with that. Yeah. To answer both questions, that appearances are the most important of the senses. Yeah, appearance matters a lot. Yeah, absolutely. What you see is really what's there. Sure, trigger. I think I think in a capitalist society like ours, it's your body gets reduced to a, a commodity, and so it is something that you own, and it's something that you can sell. Um, it is something you can market. Um, get drafted is something the government can own but it's it's just like this commodity um, that can in some ways be bought and sold and, and marketed yeah yeah I, I, I had a um, yeah I'm not going to tell that story um, but uh, yeah exactly that, that, that our physical our physical appearance matters a lot and it, it can matter in a, a, a punitive way certain appearances don't don't strike us as well. I was going to tell. I had a, I, Keenan had a friend. Uh, I won't tell you the background story, but I think he was kind of arrested for being uh, not white, essentially, in Chapel Hill a couple weeks ago. Uh, but he's also a model, you know, and so he's, you know, he so he he has this mixed message in his life of. Uh, you know, Abercrombie thinks he's attractive, but at 1 a.m. in Chapel Hill, he might be dangerous to some degree because his, his body is, it's not white, it's darkened, it's, you know, it's, it's, it's exotic in one place and dangerous in another. And that's, that's part of a, a commodified world that we live in. Yeah. Make you different and, and or like in some cases lesser. 
Yes. Okay. Absolutely. That there and there's there's I don't know what's the criterion. Would, would we all agree on that or criteria that makes somebody a lesser body? I think we might agree on certain things, but that's the crazy part of the world we live in. Is that's kind of a moving scale, right? As to what what is valuable and not valuable. Yeah. Anything else that you learn about your body? Okay, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so we have some, some really interesting sex stuff going on, don't we, in terms of uh, what's right for our bodies and what's wrong for our bodies. And, and uh, that's probably, I suspect, the, the Ben Haas uh, forgivable elements of things as well. So, uh, yeah, thank goodness, thank goodness no one in a mass way either has sex or, uh, or thinks about it. So this would be really comfortable for us, right? Uh, yeah. Um, so here's a couple questions that you don't have to answer tonight. But, I, but in this series, I want us to think about this, is that um, we are part of this faith tradition that um, involves um, the person of Jesus Christ, who was, and what he did and what's described is deeply physical. Somebody who lived in the body, there's a whole theology of this, of, of God being in flesh, um, uh, often did most of the stuff that he did related to physical needs, uh, healing things, touching things, primarily you know, food and beverage seemed to be really important uh, to Jesus. Uh, so he ate, he drank, he helped people eat and drink. He was very into that. And then the kind of the apex of our faith tradition is this physical death and physical resurrection attached to hope. So this is going to be one of the questions that, that I want us to kind of rattle around in the next six or seven weeks is what is it mean if our faith as in the Christian tradition is so deeply connected to a physical embodied Messiah, what does that tell us about uh, about bodies? Because as you guys have described, I, we live in a pretty convoluted world as it relates to bodies. Uh, uh, and, and, and our stories are really different. I'm sure we have people that would, would, would invert every story that we told in this community. And then here's a second thing that I want us to think about is, uh, and this implies where we're going, is how can we, very specifically we as a community, be what I'm going to call transgressive? How, how can we tell a counter story? How can we craft counteractions um, about our bodies? So we were describing, and you know, jokingly, that a lot of our faith traditions have not been tremendously helpful to us in terms of our physical lives. And then we're also describing that the cultures that we live in, and I imagine what we probably could do, we could do this as a graph, is I could probably make you write on a whiteboard the different social environments that you're in, and you probably would list one or two that you, you think are really helpful to you as a physical person, as an embodied person, and you probably could come up with two or three that are not helpful to you. So I think most of us live in a world where we're, we're you know, kind of helpfully uh, supported as physical people and overly critiqued. Uh, and so, um, but w what we're interested in for us as a community is how can we be transgressive? How can we transgress um, a lot of the negativity that goes related to bodies? Or maybe even the worst thing, I don't know if Rachel said this or who said this, but one of the worst things that happens with bodies is the pretending that they don't exist. Uh, that, may be, that may be even worse than telling your body that it's not perfect. 
Um, so that's kind of where we're going to go. Think about those questions. How can we be transgressive? And what does the physicality of, of Christ, the Messiah of Israel, mean to us? Uh, and, and we're going to kind of unpack this in a lot of different ways. Um, let me, um, you've heard this little trope from me, but, but I, it just, I, I, it, it really it comes back to me. What, what, what's on television tonight at 9 o'clock? The Walking Dead is back. Now, I probably won't be watching it then, but at some point tonight, by like 11, 16 p.m., I will be watching people get eaten. Uh, and, uh, and, you know, I think from the trailers, the zombies are faster this year. And, they, and they're, and they're kind of they're coordinating. And how many zombie movies have we seen in the last, like, year or two? We got love stories, like what, Warm Bodies? And we've got, like... World War Z, and I mean, we're kind of in this zombie phase right now. And, and, and I would say, put it this way, part of the zombie fad is that as a culture, we're deeply, deeply fascinated with bodies for all the reasons that you guys have just thrown out there. And interestingly, I wrote one of my first philosophy papers as a doctoral student on the, the intellectual history of the idea of a zombie apocalypse. And, and you can go to the, the web tonight, look up the Stanford Encyclopedia of Philosophy, which is kind of a thing that you have to read if you're in school from time to time. And it has about a 30-page article on the intellectual history of a zombie apocalypse in our culture. That's this great entry. It says, while most people don't believe in zombies or the possibility of zombies, most being the opposite. This is a Stanford encyclopedia. The idea remains important to us for what simple reason? And it's a debate that human beings have had, and you guys have alluded to it for a long, long time. If there are zombies... If Kurt Rhodes could just like kick it and then stand up and start eating people all in that section over there, if that is possible, what it means is that we're more than just physical beings, right? Because if he dies and his soul or his persona or his psyche or whatever no longer persist, but your body does, then that means that there's more to us than just physical beings. That's why people have cared about zombies for a long, long, long time. The other thing that I think what we love about zombies now is the idea that if, if there are zombies, it, it implies, or the idea of zombies imply, that there are bodies that can be feared and bodies that should be feared. Um, and, and we have a long history, and we'll get into this in the next several weeks, of, of naming, constructing, marking, uh, delineating certain bodies as bodies to be afraid of and operating and fearfully against. And like my, my son's friend was marked as a body to be feared, uh, which was somebody with darker skin uh, running through Chapel Hill at 1 o'clock at night without a UNC one card. That's somebody that, 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 you know, Alert Carolina is ready to send out a message on saying, hey, he's out and around, be careful, right? So there's certain bodies that we fear, and zombies remind us that there's certain things about physical bodies that we fear. Let me throw this at you, one more question here. Um, what are the types of bodies that we fear in our culture? What are the bodies, I'm not talking you, but in our culture, what are the bodies that we feel like we've been taught to fear? Sick bodies. Sick bodies. I, I missed the second one. Old, bodies. Old and sick bodies. Absolutely. 
I mean, nothing tells us something that is horrifically inappropriate is that we're mortal than sick or older bodies. Absolutely. What else? I'm commodified. So it's kind of what you're saying, but go with this capitalism framework. Yeah, and bodies that either can't produce anything or, or perhaps produce more than us are to be, to be struck at. Yeah. What else? Foreign bodies, and did you say black bodies? Yeah, yeah I mean, I, I, you, I'm not going to quote this a lot, but the, the history of constructing darker-skinned bodies as inappropriate, the, the tentacles of whiteness and, and connected to morality, goodness, and perfection is probably one of the most tremendous messages of our, of our culture. And you know who the evil people were that really worked on this? that really were excited about whiteness? Who are those evil people? Nazis? Christians. Christians. Oh my goodness. You are so right, Laura. Uh, that's, uh, that, that there has been something deeply ingrained in the Western Christian tradition uh, aligned around whiteness. Um, and that's going to be an awkward point to consider. So any other bodies that we fear? Darker bodies, sick bodies, older bodies. Female, Female bodies. No way. This, thank go- I mean, I, I was just sitting here thinking, thank goodness we don't live in a, a patriarchy. <laughs> yes, we have huge issues with female bodies. What, when the, when the, what was the court case that went last year? Remember the woman who was fired because she was too sexy? And, and I think she was a dental hygienist. I think this is, is this right? She was a dental hygienist and her boss was desiring her all day. And his solution was, was to fire her. And our court system affirmed that decision because she was dangerous to him. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. And there's some amazing work going on this. There's a great book out called The Cross and the Lynching Tree that, uh, that uh, in some ways connects traditions that, uh, that we are. We'll get into that. So as I'm looking at the clock here, we're going to wind down tonight. Let me, make a, let me throw out a couple things here that we're going to, um, we're going to draw upon. First is this, is an invitation. I, w- I want to encourage you to read 1 Corinthians. It's a, a longer letter in the New Testament. It's 16 chapters. I'm going to encourage you to read that through. Read it through. Read it again. Um, and read it from the lens of the physical body. Um, in fact, if you would have told me 20 years, if you told me in seminary that Corinthians was about the body, I would have gone, no, it's not. <laughs> and then, but, which is kind of ironic because every section in the book is about the physical body. So deep is our prejudice that our spirituality is different than our physical lives that we miss that this book is a statement, a treatise that actually challenges some of the things that we've said tonight about physical bodies. It deals with food, where food comes from, 
the spiritual connections of food. It deals with community and relationships and how physical bodies have a lot to do with how we relate with each other. It has to do with erotics and sexuality and intimacy and, the, and marriage and a whole range of issues related to bodies. So read it through again. It has the distinction between minds and our minds connected to bodies. In the, in the very beginning of this, uh, literally almost every section... And there's a section on gender. And, and, and it's not going to be always easy to read uh, in that you're not going to read it and kind of go, oh, it makes me, I feel so much better having read that. Uh, that will not be your action, I don't think. But I think that you will probably push back and say, my goodness, there is some really intense theology related to physical bodies. So I want to invite you to do that. Here's a couple of things that we're going to run against as we talk about, about bodies. One is from the point that was previously made. Um, our scriptures and Christianity was encoded in a time um, where there was an incredibly intense patriarchy. We still live in a patriarchy, but that was a world that existed when, when we talk about a binary, two genders, male, female. And, and in our culture today, we'd say, hey, there's more genders than, than, than those two. Um, in that day, there was only one gender. There were males and there were failed males. People that just weren't quite male, so to speak. And so that is how the Greco-Roman world processed gender and sexuality. Um, and so the, the Bible was written during that era. And so we're going we're gonna to have to always push back on this idea that, that given the fact that one of the reasons that we made this whole point last time in Free For All, one of the reasons that we value the scriptures is it was written in a specific time. Its authenticity is related to being made in flesh. Right, being made in a specific time period. If it didn't use the thoughts of that time period, then it would be inauthentic in its claims. So patriarchy is one of the things that we are going to deal with. Another thing that I want you to remember or think about, and I'm not going to defend this, but Christianity had a really unique tradition of distinguishing itself related to bodies. You know, think about this. How many times have you tried to distinguish yourself from a coworker or a friend based on what you did, how you looked, what you performed, all those things? Um, Christianity as a slave religion uh, found that it got great traction in Greco-Roman society by being more austere than the Greeks and the Romans. Now, if you were to go and watch the HBO series on Rome, you would get only a partially correct view of, if you, if you watch that, you will think that Rome was one big orgy, and it happened just, you know, it's like, what orgy am I going to tonight? That's not an actually appropriate view of, of, there was a lot of restraint that was a part of a different sexual climate. But one of the things that Christianity did in distinguishing itself as is that it actually made itself more austere sexually than, than the empire that it was a part of, and that's where it got some, some, some real traction. So sexual renunciation became encoded into the life of the early church. So sexuality became something that you did for reproduction, something that you limited. Um, these things were deeply encoded in, the, in the, the, the ancient Christian past, and it affects our traditions. It affects our theology now. Um, a couple other things that one of the things we alluded to tonight is that Christianity dominated the world 
in the, in the colonial moment when when uh, the world was being colonized, it was Christian nations largely in Europe that was doing the colonizing. The missionary and the soldier were playing poker together on the boat to wherever they went, and as a result, there's an intense racializing, as I, I use the term whiteness of Christianity becoming um, something that was assumed to be decisively white with a hierarchy of body, bodies and white bodies being the best, uh, most uh, appropriate, most moral and best. And that's a part of our tradition. And in dealing with bodies, we're going to have to look at our kind of our own racial history. Now, obviously, we live in a world where, um, where Christianity specifically is not a white faith anymore, but we've had a history where it's come through that. So I throw those out to say that there's going to be some interesting ideas that we are going to be dealing with as we kind of go through this series. And one of the things we're going to do, Dan's going to take us next week, and we're going to look at this whole image of Christ and what does a, 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 an embodied Messiah mean to our faith. And then we're going to start picking off some topics like food and erotics and all sorts of things uh, with the idea. Of, of getting back to that question of how can we be a, a different, how can we think differently about our bodies, but more than just think, how can we live transgressively against cultural norms, um, long faith histories related to our physical bodies. Uh, please be invited to come and speak often and uh, openly to each other on this. One of the things, as you guys know, my goal is not going to be to kind of lay some dogma on this, but for us as a community to interpret 1 Corinthians together and then secondarily to construct our actions as a community together. So that is the plan. Brett, I think, is going to be leading us in uh, confession and absolution and then Dr. Dan Rhodes will be uh, will be leading us to the table. I'm sure there'll be some sort of like transubstantiation or uh, a miracle at the table uh, this week, right, Dan? You're ready. Thanks, Brett. Some songs that uh, might be new. Uh, I think Josh told me we hadn't sung these together, so we invite you to interact with the text, however um, you see fit, whatever. You know, it works for you. If, if you know this, want to sing along, please do. But.
Everything matters no matter how big, no matter how small. God believes in you. Oh, God believes in you. When you're so ashamed that you could die, God believes in you. When you can't do right even though you try, God believes in you. Blessed are the ones who grieve, the ones who mourn, the ones who need. In sorrow and soul, but in joy you'll reap. God believes in you. Blessed are the ones who grieve, the ones who mourn, the ones who bleed. And sorrow your soul, but enjoy your way. God believes in you. God believes in you. Oh, God believes in you. I have this uh, recurring nightmare. Maybe some of you share this with me, that I'm going into campus and I'm going to give a lecture and I've planned everything out in in very detail. I've got a great text. Um, I've got some great points to make. They're well illustrated. Um, And I get to the classroom uh, and I begin to stand up to go lecture and I've realized that I have not worn any clothes on this day. And I'm thinking to myself, I don't know how this happened. I don't know. I, I, I had everything laid out. How did I get out of the house and actually make it to campus and into the classroom without any clothes on? This is, this is a weird thing. How did this happen? And of course, there's this sense of kind of striking awe and embarrassment and the sense of kind of overwhelming, oh, what am I going to do? How am I going to get out of this situation? And uh, my preference would be that, oh, well, the power suit that I had laid out, I would portray that to my students and then I would get the respect. And I think What's going on there, I don't know, maybe Mark could, could give me a, a psychoanalysis of that at some point. But in part, I think we live in a world that's very confused about our bodies and about where our bodies fit, what role they have, uh, how do we think about them. I think we live most of our lives in that confusion. We live most of our lives in the confusion of, I don't know how I, whatever that might be, relate to my body. And what my body means and how I'm to use it. And I think so often in Christian tradition, especially the Christian tradition that a lot of us grew up in, without some of the central practices of the church, we tend to reify or to make stronger that disassociation from our bodies. And when we were thinking about Emmaus Way from the beginning, one of the things that we said we wanted to be central about this community is the practice of the table. Not because it's, as some had referred to it, snacks after church or just a time to kind of, hey, hang out. But that God and God's coming in Christ entered into the reality of humanity. The bodily reality of humanity. The eating, the drinking, the very nitty gritty of what it means to be human on every single level. And our sense was that in practicing this table... Some of that confusion that we live so much of our lives in, we might begin to counter it with a sense of the way in which God has inhabited human form, taken on human life, 
And that we might begin to live as real humans in a way that mirrors and participates in what God has created us to be. We're going to continue a lot on this conversation. We're going to do this for about seven weeks, I think, looking at the body and working our way through 1 Corinthians to look at what does it mean to be embodied people. Uh, in some sense, that's just redundant. Like People are embodied. As Christians, our, our, our claim is not that somehow God will, or someday God will blow up the earth and we will escape to some place beyond, but that our bodies will be resurrected. That there's something very deeply bodily, as I said, about our faith. And as we come to the table to practice that, to engage with one another, to share food with one another, we recognize not only the limits of who we are, but we also enjoy those limits of what it means to be creaturely. And how we can learn grace from one another and receive grace from God to be the creatures that we were created to be. At Emmaus Way, we celebrate an open table, meaning all of you are invited to come to break bread with one another, share it with one another as a very bodily practice, something we do every single day, eat. But in that, to know that the grace of God is present for one another, not because we have all of our thinking right, not because there's some great ideas, but because that's where God lives. That's the type of God we serve. So we'll break bread for one another, sharing it with one another, saying, the body of Christ broken for you, and pour wine or juice for one another, saying, the blood of Christ shed for you, recognizing that in that shared meal, God is present. You're also invited afterward. We'll move pretty quickly to our Ecclesia meeting. You're all welcome to stay. There's pizza, I think, already here somewhere. I saw it come in. Please share with us. That's larger meal. Um, those of you that are regulars at our church, um, we're going to be talking about a lot of things that are going on, not the least of which is kind of some of the transition, possible moving, how we can get feedback from you and all that kind of stuff. So please stick around, um, help us deal with our business and to understand how we can uh, make good decisions together. Um, but as we move there, we're going to celebrate this meal together, reminding ourselves that, that God is not divorced from humanity, but God has united God's self with humanity. And in that, we somehow can learn to be embodied, full-bodied creatures that live in grace and peace and unity with God. Welcome to the table. Amen.